Jerome Corsi has already borne false witness against me. Unfortunately for him, I have email messages, text messages, and metadata that proves that he would be lying. He claims that I knew about the Billy Bush tape in advance. That's also a lie. But you notice none of these things are said in the indictment. You know, the president changes his mind. After he came out and announced uh, that he was going to participate in opening up the government, he started to do the attack again. What happens if they never lie to Congress, to the FBI? What happens if everybody just goes in and tells the truth? The lies are what has gotten them in trouble. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So on the indictment of rocking Roger Stone on Friday, he of the torturers lobby on seven counts of being a bad person, Rick Wilson may have said it best. Wilson is that wily Republican operative who likes the vindictive ad hominem stuff. And in more antiseptic times when uh, Trump hadn't lumped all of his enemies in a kennel together, I would have been terrified of Rick calling me like a near-legged scullionly ort or just a bitch. But today he only turns his furnace of hate on Trump world. So I'm Team Rick Wilson. Calling Stone a parody cartoon supervillain, Wilson goes on to say in The Daily Beast that Stone probably expected to be able to show up for the feds in a typically foppish confection. Wilson says, perhaps a purple morning coat, spats, hand-tooled lemur skin calf boots, a jaunty top hat, a monocle, and an exotic cravat tied in a knot typically used only in vigorous German Fesselspiele games. He would stride, Wilson says, toward the waiting feds with a louche swagger, his bejeweled walking stick in hand. He'd smile for the assembled cameras and toss off some balmo that communicated both searing contempt and breezy insouciance. That's not what went down, of course. Instead, half asleep, Roger Stone confronted a cluster of America's then-still-unpaid federal workers who pounded the door of Stone's Florida manse, shouting, FBI, warrant, open the door, in the pre-dawn hours. At least they pounded the door. Manafort, Stone's old running buddy and convicted felon, had what Asha Rangappa has called on the show a no-knock raid. You guys can figure that out. But still, the horror of the prima donna stone, the champion of dirty tricks being arrested at his house, brought Tucker Carlson of Fox News near to a breakdown. That evening, after Trump had caved to Nancy Pelosi and reopened the government without funding for his weird imaginary friend, the wall, unshackled stone out on $250,000 bail, made the tour of cable channels, asking not for forgiveness, sympathy, or a chance to tell his story, but for $2 million for assorted expenses. He told Carlson he's poor as a church mouse now. He can't do his consulting. He can't sell books. Presumably, he can't be the swinger he's long admitted to being. And what about a Trump tattoo to match his Nixon one? Ink like that on Venice Beach doesn't come cheap. Now, for my many sins, I went to Stone's hat-passing site to see how far he was into his $2 million. And the answer is, well, it's not a formal GoFundMe site. So you can't really see how much he's raised but it is a chance to drop some Bitcoin into Stone's cravat. A disclaimer on the site says all contributions should be considered gifts to Roger Stone. My guest today to talk Stone, as well as Jared Kushner and unsanctioned Russian oligarch Oleg Deripaska, is the always lucid, 
even-keeled Garrett Graff. He's my colleague at Wired, where we're both contributing editors, and he's the author of Dawn of the Code War, America's Battle Against Russia, China, and the Rising Global Cyber Threat. He's also uniquely qualified to talk about the Mueller investigation and its indictments because he wrote a book in 2012 about Robert Mueller's FBI. I'll be back with Garrett in just a minute. But first, our live show is just around the corner. Are you in sunny California? Thursday, February 7th at the Ace Hotel in Los Angeles. I'll be there with Leon Krause and Trumpcast alumnus Jamel Bowie and some special guests unpacking the latest from Trump world in real time. So go to slate.com slash live for tickets. That's slate.com slash live. Back with Garrett soon, but first, the tweets. CBS reports that in the Roger Stone indictment, data was released during the 2016 election to damage Hillary Clinton. Oh, really? What about the fake and unverified dossier, a total phony con job that was paid for by crooked Hillary to damage me and the Trump campaign? What? Howard Schultz doesn't have the guts to run for president. Watched him on 60 Minutes last night, and I agree with him that he's not the smartest person. Besides, America already has that. I only hope that Starbucks is still paying me their rent in Trump Town. After all that I have done for the military, a great veterans, judges, 99, justices, too. Tax and regulation cuts, the economy, energy, trade, and much more. Does anybody really think I won't build the wall? Done more in the first two years than any president. Make America great again. I never thought I would say this, but I think John Roberts and Gillian Turner at Fox News have even less understanding of the wall negotiations than the folks at fake news, CNN and NBC. Look to final results. Don't know how my poll numbers are so good, especially up 19% with Hispanics. Build a wall, crime will fall. Welcome back to Trumpcast. Oh, my pleasure. Part of the time we're talking about tech for Wired, but today we are talking about Roger Stone. I like one thing that you do, which is you hold back on the punchlines about Roger Stone. Obviously, you could talk about his pervy persona or his sartorial elegance or even just some of his antics, but you do a nice job talking about his exact role in the Trump-Russia thing as Robert Mueller sees it. So... Tell me what we can take away from the indictment that we all relished on Friday. Well, this indictment is in some ways the least surprising indictment that we have seen so far. Mm -hmm. Roger Stone has in many ways basically spent the last year not exactly baiting Mueller into indicting him, but certainly advertising on a near daily basis that he is involved in potentially criminal acts and is going to, as Rick Wilson said, parroting a Roger Stone line of before, 
now going to face his own time in the barrel. Yes. And that's not just an incidental joke from quoting Stone, because, you know, as you and I know, and followers of this know, that phrase was the tip off that Roger Stone might have known or seemed to know about the hacks of the DNC before the rest of us did. Yeah, and it was a line that Roger Stone had used about John Podesta sort of before we actually saw public or before publicly we knew that John Podesta's emails had been hacked in 2016. And really what's weird about the Roger Stone indictment is where it's silent. Hmm. And, you know, anyone who has been paying close attention to this as sort of the listeners here all have know that in many ways it's almost as important what Bob Mueller doesn't say as what he does say. Mm -hmm. And so that the fact that this is an indictment wholly focused on false statements, Hmm. you know, documented mischaracterizations or misstatements or lies in some ways sort of leaves us unsure about the underlying answer to the fundamental question we all want to know about Roger Stone, which is, was he colluding with WikiLeaks and Russia, well, you know, was he the conduit between WikiLeaks and the Trump campaign? And mm-hmm. the indictment is sort of silent on that part hmm. in some interesting ways. What it does show, though, is something that we have known for some time, which is the Trump campaign was certainly open to doing business with WikiLeaks and Russia if they could. Mm -hmm. They're sort of trying to get heads up on what's going to be leaked when there's this delicious, amazing (laughs) line where it says that a senior Trump campaign official was directed to contact Roger Stone, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is, you know, a verb choice that says so much, because what it tells us is not only that Robert Mueller has direct evidence and knowledge of the internal decision making process of the Trump campaign, but Mm -hmm. that also if you're talking about a senior Trump campaign official being directed to do something, well, there aren't that many people above a senior official who could direct someone to do it. You know, it's a verb that communicates a lot as opposed to something that says something more along the lines of was directed versus was suggested or um, (laughs) was asked was asked or or even just sort of said a senior Trump campaign official contacted Stone. You know, Mm. just by adding Mm -hmm. the was directed, you know, totally changes the meaning of that and gives us a window into, you know, again, sort of where Mueller might be heading with this as he sort of zeroes in on the decision making at the upper reaches of the Trump campaign. Do you think that that part and you say that part of the investigation, the part we all want to know about that the Trump campaign may have you said, been open to dating WikiLeaks or, you know, a kind of romance with WikiLeaks. It seems like they were also sending flowers and chocolates, a little more than just open to. Yeah. And you sort of see that on the communications that Mueller has in there from October 7th, which, again, is a really important day because it's both when the Podesta emails leak publicly Mm -hmm. 
hours after the Access Hollywood tape leaks. Yeah, astonishing. And one of the questions we've always had is, was a reaction to be? Did WikiLeaks dump the John Podesta emails on that afternoon in order to distract from the Access Hollywood tape, which in its first hours was a very serious scandal that came close to having some senior GOP officials waver on their support for Donald Trump. Yeah. And then it was sort of quickly buried by the Podesta emails and the campaign, as we now know, moved on. Yeah. And one of the things that this indictment tells us is that a high ranking Trump campaign official at that point on that day after the WikiLeaks dump texted Roger Stone, well done. Mm-hmm. And again, we know from this indictment that there was a number of communications that week about these Podesta emails potentially coming out. So mm-hmm. it's it's not entirely clear that this was a direct result of the Access Hollywood tape. But it is, again, one of these odd coincidences mm-hmm. that Mueller is beginning to point out for us in a campaign where it seems less and less likely that there were actually odd coincidences. Yeah, two things are so astute about what you said. One is that we're directed. We've talked on the show about subordination of perjury. To be asked to lie, you don't even have to be coerced. I can even suggest to you that you lie in court. And even if you don't then go on to perjure yourself, I could be guilty of subordination, especially if I'm a lawyer. But in this case, directed does seem to apply something about hierarchy, not coercion exactly, but hierarchy. It's not quite ordered. It's certainly not coerced. But it does let you say that that senior official has to be someone well above Stone. And even the New York Times has gone so far to say this really does leave open the possibility that it's Donald Trump himself issuing that directive. Yeah. And part of that is, you know, the simple math, which is there just never were that many senior campaign officials on the Trump campaign whose names weren't Trump. Um, (laughs) You know, whether you're talking about Don Jr., Eric, Donald himself or son-in-law Jared, you know, this was a pretty small campaign hierarchy. And so there weren't that many high-ranking officials to begin with. Right. And then if you're thinking about the universe of people who could direct a high-ranking official to do something, that's an even smaller universe. Yeah. And we're always told that Stone, who sat outside the courthouse on Friday, that he has been Trump's close friend for decades, that Stone doesn't go through the coffee boy to talk to Donald Trump. Stone is the informal advisor who calls him and gets in his ear. Anyway, so we have this possibility. Now, the other thing you said that really stands out is that Mueller is not connecting those dots for us in this. He's talking about lying. He's talking about other kinds of forms of obstruction. But he doesn't go so far as to make a sort of counterintelligence claim about Stone. Is it possible that that's, and you know the FBI well, especially in the old days, Mueller's FBI, this investigation that we now know has been ongoing since the Comey firing, or it possibly stopped, but it's likely to be ongoing, the counterintelligence investigation. Do you think that they're picking up stuff about Stone? It certainly seems possible. And remember, part of what concerns the FBI over the course of this time period during sort of the summer and fall of 2016 is 
no single contact. It's the plethora of contacts. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we know from the FISA warrant and the Devin Nunez memo that there were at least four different Trump campaign officials who were involved in FBI counterintelligence operations at that point that the FBI was worried about. And we know also that WikiLeaks is not a journalistic organization. Mike Pompeo, as CIA director, called it a non-state hostile intelligence service. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have certainly seen a lot of evidence that that behavior is correct, that it, it sort of serves as a conduit for Russian intelligence to move information into the West. Why does that make it a non-state? I mean, presumably there's money that flows from the Kremlin or from the oligarchs, or you mean because Assange is historically a free agent? I think it has more to do with Assange as a historic free agent. Okay. And I don't I don't actually know whether we have ever seen evidence of Russian money moving into WikiLeaks, but we've certainly mm-hmm. seen evidence of Russian information moving into WikiLeaks, most clearly through these leaks from Fancy Bear and Cozy Bear into WikiLeaks in 2016. Mm-hmm. But WikiLeaks has traditionally served as a hostile source of Western secrets um, Mm -hmm. and and has been notably silent on publishing secrets of more authoritarian governments Mm -hmm. like Russia. So the fact that they were working so closely or trying to have such close contact with Julian Assange and WikiLeaks during this period is in itself sort of troubling from an American political standpoint. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that Trump world would sort of have you think that this is more of the same and everyone always is trying to collect opposition research in politics. And, you know, they sort of said the same thing about Trump Tower, Mm -hmm. the Trump Tower beating of, you know, hey, like, you just got to take opposition research wherever it comes from. And that's actually not the tradition of the United States politics. And in fact, legitimate campaigns have over years, you know, drawn really strong lines about where they will get opposition research. Most famously, you know, Al Gore, Uh, returning the briefing binder of Bush debate prep material Mm. that he received during the 2000 campaign and returning it to the Bush campaign and turning over that to the FBI and sort of saying, you know, hey, like you should be investigating this. Hmm. That's Mm -hmm. definitely not what the Trump campaign did at any point throughout the 2016 campaign. Yeah, I mean, this has been an ongoing sub-theme or something of Trumpcast, which is that there are figures, the oligarchs, figures in the Kremlin, figures like Roger Stone, who will constantly imply that everyone does this, and if you don't do it, you're not getting an edge. You're not smart, as Trump said about cheating on his taxes. This was the logic that the Kremlin used for doping at Sochi, the Olympics. The Chinese are doing it. Everyone's doing it. You're a chump if you don't do it. And as a dirty trickster, this is the kind of thing Roger Stone has said, that cheating is gameplay and the winners are the ones who will go low, fight dirty. It's such a point of pride with him that when you describe the Mueller-Stone kind of cat and mouse game that's been going on with Stone, as you say, practically baiting Mueller. I mean, this has been a decades-long operation by Roger Stone. He's been hiding in more than plain sight. He's been not hiding in plain sight and telling us about his strategies all along. And some of them are not for George W. Bush. Some of them are for Ferdinand Marcos. He's not as fun as he thinks he is. (laughs) That's what I think. But I'm surprised 
that when Mueller was running the FBI, that when, you know, we've had significant people in the Justice Department, that we've tolerated this for so long. Tolerated figures like Stone and Paul Manafort, who were in 1992 called the leaders of the torturers lobby. Yeah. And this is actually sort of, I think, an interesting, you know, Jesse Isinger at ProPublica has done some really sort of thoughtful reporting about this over the course of many years now and wrote a book called The Chicken Shit Club, which I assume is a title I can say since this is a podcast. Yes, it is. Um, And basically his argument is that the Justice Department historically for many, many years, has vastly under-prosecuted white-collar offenses. And he looks a lot at sort of financial crimes, but there's sort of an analog and a carryover to some of these sort of foreign lobbying and campaign finance violations Mm -hmm. that we have seen grow out of the Trump campaign, you know, sort of particularly around Paul Manafort. And Paul Manafort was engaged in this $65 million money laundering scheme that lasted a full decade. Michael Cohen was involved in a effectively sort of decade-long tax fraud and with taxi medallions. You know, I think sort of one of the lessons for us as a society as we look forward to sort of what happens on the other end of this story whenever mm-hmm. this whenever that happens mm-hmm. is a more aggressive history of prosecuting white collar crime like bank fraud tax fraud money laundering would have likely meant that none of the central characters of the Trump campaign would have been in a position in 2014, 2015, and 2016 to be involved in the campaign. And that potentially includes Donald Trump himself. I mean, the New York Times has sort of run as detailed a story as we will sort of ever likely see someone publish saying the president of the United States engaged in a $400 million tax scam in New York State and New York City. And had that been more aggressively investigated and prosecuted during the 1990s, Donald Trump would likely have ended up a felon, you know, rather than on The Apprentice. Yes. I mean, these are strands we're going to have to be untangling for a long time. There are very few upsides to Trump times, but one of them is that it's a referendum on especially how white-collar crime exists and how it has so many enablers. A story that didn't get as much attention as it probably should have last week was the NBC scoop that Carl Klein, who was kind of supervisor in the security clearance getting machine at the White House, was instructed that he shouldn't let Jared Kushner and some 30 others get top-secret clearance, but he did it anyway. We know Jared Kushner went back on his SF-86, his forms that are supposed to reveal everything he's ever done, you know, including the time he got drunk in 1994. He went back over and over again and had to say that he had meetings with Russians. And finally, two experts said he really shouldn't have this clearance. And this figure, Carl Klein, used to work at the Pentagon, pushed him through. I mean, who who are these enablers? Have you been sensitive to them all along, that they're these kind of bad apples that are in it for the money or for the proximity to power or something else, who are doing things that are really against their oaths of office and their commitment to the Pentagon? I think you're right that that falls into the category of the things that, had this been the Obama administration, would Mm -hmm. have ranked as one of the most major scandals 
of the Obama's entire eight-year administration. Mm-hmm. Um, if there were sort of that many senior-level officials in the White House who had sufficient derogatory information that the CIA did not recommend them for a top-secret clearance. Yeah. And by the way, it still seems likely that Jared does not have access to SCI information. Um, what, what's SCI? The, the, the sensitive compartmentalized information that is unique to the CIA dealing, for instance, with specific sources and methods related to intelligence gathering. It seems like the CIA still has not granted him access to that, which in some ways is the most insane of all, which is you have here the man who, by all accounts, is effectively the day-to-day chief of staff at the White House, unable to read or access the primary relevance of U.S. intelligence to daily operations. But again, this is this falls into the category of scandals that would normally be quite scandalous that, you know, I'm not even really sure that story ever really broke through at all last week and, you know, was quickly buried by any of the other million things that were going on. Yes. Maybe you can tell us what you think about the lifting of sanctions on one Oleg Deripaska, the Russian oligarch, last week and what its relation to maybe we're to the quo. I mean, we're learning about the quid in the form of the Stone indictments, the other indictments, what the Russians did for Trump. Now we are seeing Trump give back. There are some legitimate reasons that some of the sanctions legislation around Deripaska or the sanctions action around Deripaska should have been revisited in order to, you know, sort of smooth out some potential problems with the world aluminum markets and stuff like that. But I think what is what is worth sort of noting about this is in some ways I see this as akin to the president's odd behavior uh, documented over the last couple of weeks in his meetings with Vladimir Putin. Um, And what I mean by that is this is a president who knows that on a daily basis, the whole world is waking up and saying, hey, is this guy a Russian agent? Mm -hmm. And he knows that that's the fear around his campaign. You know, he's railing against it on Twitter on a near daily basis. It's not that he's oblivious to this. Mm -hmm. And instead, rather than seeing him be sensitive to that and sort of bend over backwards to ensure transparency around the decisions that he's making in this realm, Mm-hmm. To to make clear that not only is he not a Russian agent, he is being tough on Russia, or at least not cutting Russia's strange deals. Mm-hmm. We're not seeing that. You know, we're not seeing him react to these situations in the way that you would expect an innocent person to react. What we continue to see him do, and the most recent example, I think, is the Deripaska sanction lifting, is continue to take actions that cause people to further ask the question, is this guy acting on Russia's behalf or is he acting on the behalf of Russian oligarchs? And I think that that's what's so puzzling to me is not necessarily that he's doing any one of these things. Hmm. It's that his continued behavior on only one side of this ledger. Yeah. You know, and it's at every opportunity doing the thing that seems weird. Um, in the context of, is Donald Trump an agent of the Russian government? 
I think the one insightful thing that Trey Gowdy has ever said is, if you're innocent, Mr. President, start acting like it. Exactly. My guest has been Garrett Graff. He's a contributing editor at Wired Magazine. Thank you, Garrett. Thank you. And that's it for today's show. Tell us what you think. Our Twitter lines are wide open. I'm at page 88. You can at me, but don't troll me. The show is at Real Trumpcast. And before I go, have you signed up for Slate Plus yet? When you sign up for Slate Plus, you get all of Slate's podcasts ad-free. A discount to our Trumpcast live show in LA on February 7th. And best of all, you'll be supporting our work. So go to slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus. Our show today was produced by Melissa Kaplan with help from Merritt Jacob. John D. Domenico is, as always, our voice of Donald J. Trump. You can find him on Twitter at johnnyd 23 And I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks again for listening to Trumpcast. I can't believe Howard Schultz is going to run for president. This is ridiculous. The guy is a billionaire. That's it. So what? He created the largest coffee chain in the world and made a crap load of money. He doesn't know anything. Nothing at all. The last time I got coffee at a Starbucks, they spelled Trump wrong. Morons. Concerning the Roger Stone indictment, I probably met Roger once or twice, barely knew the guy, total weirdo, even smelled weird, dumb suits, ridiculous glasses, and that dyed hair, very, very strange. He never worked for me, was never paid a dime, but he was always on TV like we're the best of friends. Lies, all lies, I don't know him, I don't like him.